Hello and welcome to the Test Tube Podcast. I am your host, Dan. Hey yo, my name is Eric. We are representing X39 Gem, the biggest synthetic biology competition in the world. We are here to interview fantastic researchers and demystify the world of synthetic biology. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Test Tube Podcast. Today, we are joined by the brilliant iGem Bath. If you guys would like to go and introduce yourselves. Hello, my name is Gregorio. I am a master's student studying molecular biosciences at the university. And uh, for this iGem team, I'm the student leader for it as well. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I am a placement student at the University of Bath, and my interests are in fungi and food security. And on the iGem Bath team, I'm currently running Project Outreach, and I helped with Project Ideation as well. So I'm Alex, and I'm completely non-biology, right? So I represent the multidisciplinary nature of this competition. And basically, I come from a computer science, electrical engineering, psychology, mechanical engineering background. Lovely stuff. So uh, would you guys like to start with giving us a general overview of your project? So from the outset... We threw a lot of ideas together because this is a first time for Bath putting together an iGen team. And we, what we landed on was phosphorus recycling. Now, you might be aware of phosphorus. It makes the backbone of DNA, ATP. It's in your teeth. It's in your bones. It's, it's everywhere. However, what we're interested in is its use as a plant macronutrient. It's one of the big three. You've got your phosphorus, your nitrogen, and your potassium. And without phosphorus, your crops, they become stunted. Their roots don't grow as well. Their photosynthesis is much less efficient. And that's a huge problem. We really depend on it. And without it, you know, we wouldn't be able to feed everyone uh, we have today. And throughout the history of, of mankind, we've, you know, we've had a hunger for phosphate fertilizers. Um, you might have heard of Nau, a very small island, which, which was rich in guano. It's bird feces. But that's rich in phosphate. It was used, it was basically mined out for, for agricultural use. So we have this hunger for phosphate fertilizers, and yet it's incredibly finite. Uh, and much of the analysis around it is treats it like oil or coal, because it's a finite resource that we mine out of the ground, but have no replacement for on any human timescale. And so that's the problem. Many different papers have estimated when we're going to run out, you know, and that's that could be any time this century or next century or in three centuries time. But the, the real problem is that we're, we're already running out of the best stuff. The farmers that we've talked to are already feeling the pinch from increasing prices in phosphate because the best mines are running out. And in a race to the bottom, the price is only just going to skyrocket. All we can do is try to use the phosphate that we have better and recycle it more. There's no big inner, you know, we can't just pluck it out of thin air. So what do we do? iGEM has worked on this for in, over many, many years. Many teams have tried to accomplish the extraction of phosphate from water. They were interested in reducing nutrient pollution, which is a huge problem in the UK at the moment. And I think if you've seen the headlines, we're, we're constantly dealing with sewage overflow, agricultural runoff, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very salient issue at the moment. So, of course, many teams have tackled that. But then they weren't tackling the issue of our limited phosphorus fertilizer use. 
So we put two and two together. We said, why not close the loop? Why not try to bring these two ideas together and solve two problems at once? Can we not only reduce our waste, but also bring it back and reuse it so our supplies are secure and stable? We're using a bacillus subtilis, the gram-positive workhorse of molecular biology. And we're, what we're doing is that we're, we're taking a, a genetic circuit that would detect phosphate and store it in the bacterial cell wall. And we're tinkering with it so that in high phosphate, it would take that up and act as a store, a reservoir of phosphate that we can then apply on crops, not only reducing the levels of phosphate in wastewater, tackling A, nutrient pollution, but then we would apply it onto crops and B, provide a slow, sustainable release of phosphate for crops to achieve their yield potential. Damn, Jeremy, that was tight. That was, <laughs> that was like, that was like solid. Oh, I love that. That was really, no, I, really good explanation. Of I feel of like maybe you've basically just done your presentation with the jamboree there. Yeah. That's great. Man. I think you know who to put yeah. up on the stage. Get Jeremy well, on there. So yeah, I've, we've, we've done this a couple of times. We've we've just been relying on Eric's natural charm, so lots of it. We can tell. Oh. He's oozing with it. The major part of your project, which is fantastic, is making fertilizers more sustainable and therefore more attainable. Of course, it would be useful as a starting point to discuss why current fertilizers aren't sustainable, which you have already in mining. You are planning on recycling this more. In terms of sustainability, do you think this is your solution to phosphate issues or are there any other factors we need to consider? It's not a solution in and of itself. It's, it's, it's not the silver bullet because all we're doing is increasing the efficiency of, the, of, the, of our current system. More than half of, of our phosphate that we apply to crops is wasted. It, it doesn't go into our stomachs. So what we're just trying to do, loop things back around and try to catch as much as we can. That will never be 100% efficient, but it is the least that we can do until we find a better solution. Because currently what we're doing is extremely sh short term. So while we would like to say this will be 100% efficient, it can't be the only solution if it's anything less than that. We also, in our conversation that we had with a local farmer, his name is Joshua. So Joshua actually told us that realistically to get something like this out of just the theoretical side and apply it, it would be a 10 year scale or something along those lines. So because of all the security requirements needed, you need to optimize everything. You also need to test it thoroughly many, many times. And because our project applies to two different ends, because there's the wastewater treatment side, but there's also the agriculture side, then that makes it even more of a challenge because you have to be dealing with all the considerations for two different sectors at the same time to make it actually apply. So the scaling up would be an issue on the wastewater side, but there would also be a transportation issue. There would also be an issue related to testing if in the field, there is a valid reason to say that, hey, actually our bacteria does give an advantage out to the crops and the crops tend to be happier and they tend to grow better and things along those lines. And that requires time, especially if you're dealing with crops that take a while to grow. So you're not going to be having results overnight. So that is going to be a very long process. And I think that the time frame that our friend Lee has given us is uh, realistic. It would take many, many years to get all of those considerations 
answered and done to the point where we can apply our, our project. Is your farmer friend okay with GMO uh, crops? Yeah, well? we asked him that specifically. That was one of the big questions that we had. Yeah. He said that he is. We also asked, like, what does he think that the mindset across other farmers would be? And he said that basically it would vary. There are, there are uh, some that would be very, very open to a new type of approach because something that is, that is worth mentioning, he really did mention that like the quality of the phosphorus in the fertilizers is decreasing and he doesn't like them very much. So there is a search for a new alternative and it seems like we're hopping on a trend here. How do you um, feel like Symbio will have an impact on future environment projects like nutrition, agricultural, climate change? I think that that's going to ultimately be the case. Maybe not for everything, but I think it's going to be just increasing. It's a relatively uh, new field in the sense that there's still much more ground to be traced for our project. The idea is based off a paper that came out last year. For environment specifically, it's such as a, it's, it's, since it's such a big thing, I believe that the developments that will come from synthetic biology, naturally people will consider nutrition and uh, crops because it is something that we all need. We all need to eat, right? So it's a, it's an emerging field. It's a big problem. I feel that they'll come hand in hand. I think we've, we've seen as the risks and, you know, the apparent danger of climate change, environmental destruction becomes far more visible to us, especially in the rich world. Our attitudes are changing towards things that were previously controversial. For example, nuclear energy, there's been a large turnaround on that. Um, it was something that was seen as unpalatable to many, but now seen as a necessary, practical thing to do. And perhaps I think a lot of people the the at their attitudes towards synthetic biology and genetic engineering has as it's become more normalized are less paranoid about it than pre they previously were one thing we need to consider is that we always need to be extremely cautious that we're bringing everyone along with us and that we're being hyper cautious and hypersensitive because doing something just because it's cool and because it's awesome without cons without consulting stakeholders is where we're going to go wrong and probably set back synthetic biology by a decade, in my opinion. We've done this before. We've seen this with GMO crops. We've, we've had these amazing, we've had these amazing technologies, but their application or a PR miscommunication has led to in incredible losses of trust. And uh, it's, it's really hindered progress in the field. So caution is my prescription. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's a really tricky one because we really need to be careful massively. It's definitely, as you said, a prescription of caution. However, at the same time, the precautions that your team, our team, and every biologist, hopefully, takes is normally enough to combat this. And where it's not, there are principles we can put into place. Ultimately, it's great to just have a two-way dialogue, as you guys have had, with your, your lovely farmer friend Joshua and the general public. How's it going working in a, well, as a new team in Bath? Because Bath's never done the, the iGEM project before, has it? Yeah, so our journey with iGEM was, it was, it was quite kind of uh, interesting. Basically, I had a module where we had to come up with a business idea and the business had to be sustainable in some ways or it had to be geared towards sustainability. So... For inspiration, the lecturer, she put out 
some links for us to think about. One of the links was to the IHM competition, which I had never heard about. And I guess just naturally, I assumed that the university was a part, had been a part, but no, it actually wasn't. So it was this like two, three month process of me exchanging emails with her. Can we do it? Can we do it? And then starting to build a team. I built some people on my end. She got some, she got Jeremy actually through an email and then things just started growing from there. So the experience in the beginning was, is it going to happen? It was very, very, uh, very intense in that regard because we didn't have anything settled. And it was kind of like the student was trying to promote this, right? Just as a quick thing to add, we've been collaborating with Bio Brussels and they're also a new team, but their process was the other way around. It was a professor who was interested and he got everything kind of sorted out. And then he just asked, so do you guys want to participate? And then they said, yes. And so that was a different end. And it's interesting to see how the dynamic is different because with us, it was quite uncertain if it was going to happen. That was the first bit of being a new iGEM team. That I think that was very interesting. And then the rest is just learning about iGEM. Like what, what does iGEM want us to do? Because you start out thinking, okay, it's a synthetic biology competition. So you just got to have really good results. Not really. You need to have a lot of things done on the side in parallel. You need to communicate, which is something that we're just talking about now, which was something that we're actually just doing right now, which is this <laughs> podcast. So you need to have some idea of how the, the, this would be implemented. You need to have some continuation that you can give to the other teams in the future. And then all these things, they just start coming together the more and the more, the, the more you read about it. And I guess that was that was it. And then the rest is actually not iGEM, but learning about synthetic biology. Because none of us, I think, except for one member, had worked directly with synthetic biology. Maybe we learned about it, but then you have to learn about how the designs work, like how things might not go according to plan, which has happened with us yeah. in, the, in the labs. I really? Sure. So, something's not worked perfectly first time? I'm sure it happened to you. <laughs> it's well. biology. It yeah, all yeah. There's so many things that happen and you just got to learn from it. It's been a wonderful experience, to be honest. Mm. It's been a wonderful experience. It, it sounds like really wholesome that you didn't just join a team, you made the team. Like you set it up from the ground and <laughs> built it up and you joined, you got people and like, Sounds like a movie-like I mean, intro. Speak, speak, <laughs> speaking of which, as we look at the heist movie intro of you going around and people clicking their fingers back at you going, yeah! yeah, yeah. How, how was your selection process? Obviously, Jeremy as well, you were selected by a, a staff member. How, what was your process of selecting team members? So for me, I knew people that I thought would be good as already. So I went with those. I didn't want to like send out a mass massive message to everyone and just have hey anyone want to join because I you know maybe would be bringing people that we didn't really want so it started out quite started out quite slow just a few people that I spoke to there were a lot of notes there were a lot of notes it was quite heartbreaking like I said in the beginning I thought it was not going to happen with Mamna, who's our supervisor and was the lecturer that I mentioned, her process, she did send out an email, but she asked to put a CV, like say why you want to join. That's how the selection process started. As things went along, and then, like I said, we found more and more things related to iGEM. Then we're like, okay, actually, we need people beyond biology. And actually, we'll need a lot of people because it's so big. It's a lot to do with iGEM. 
so then it just kept coming to uh, back to what I did, but thinking about other people. So then I started inviting mathematicians. So we have a few mathematicians in the team. And then we have people from human computer interactions, more of a psychology design mindset, but still with that acknowledgement that you need to get people that you know will be good for you to work with. But Mamna, she kept working on the other side of send out a CV, tell us why you're interested, and then having an interview. And then along after a little while, we got some more people that were interested and they basically had an interview and I was there just to see what they they, they were they were about and how they could add any value to our project yeah so it's quite a process it's quite a process it, it sounds like it for us it was more like planning a party almost uh <laughs> not a party because it's it's work but i guess you could say planning an event so you had to send in a cv for a party that's the first <laughs> <laughs> crazy but, party. I mean, it was more trying to get people that we that I knew and Momna doing the uh, CV thing. But I did you have an interview, Jeremy? I did not have an interview. I think because I went to a talk that Momna held and it was quite a small talk, so I demonstrated my interest that way. Um, but it wasn't a formal interview, no. Clearly, you sent in a CV that was so shiny and you got through. We'll get some, get some CV advice from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's how it went. I guess it's interesting to think because I thought that this is how iGEM started, but looking at it now, mm. I think it's not at all how it starts. I think it's <laughs> it's normally a PI that gets interested or a yeah. or someone, not a student. Yeah, so I guess that's why the process is so unique for us. It's, it's a brilliant origin story. I think we can sell this. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Make a little story of it. How do you think they will uh, structure it next year? Do you think you'll carry on making the teams or your PI will carry on? I mean, if, if they would love to give me a position within the university to just work with this, I'd be so happy, honestly. Cool. I would love to. Yeah, but we are talking about having talks with the department. So this this seems like a really cool thing. So she's, uh, she's asked us, I don't know if Jeremy will be, because Jeremy's not at Bath at this point. He's still in Cambridge. I'm coming back. I'm coming, I'm coming yeah, please home. Please come back. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, uh, if he is back by then, then he'll be hosting as well. But we're going to be giving a few talks to the future uh, to, to the future department, to people in other places, kind of show how it's this multidisciplinary thing because the university doesn't have a project that is so multidisciplinary. If we get this momentum going, then it's, it's likely that we could have it again. And the, the, this, our supervisor is really happy. I guess also one of the things that was very, that this might've actually been the most difficult thing with starting out the team, the way that I said it, there weren't really funds there. There wasn't like Ooh. something set out for us. There weren't contacts that we could just go to from previous iGEM, you know, iterations or anything yeah. like that. We had to set that all from the ground up and like luckily things started falling into place but i think that some of the teams that aren't new teams uh or even teams that are new teams but it started with the pi this has already been maybe worked on a bit before the actual onset of the competition i think that was also that's also a very very difficult thing that we're dealing with but then hopefully if the competition continues on next next year maybe things will be already allocated 
So obviously we had a, a very chaotic start to, to Bart's iGEM experience. <laughs> now, as we've spoken about before, science can be difficult. Mm. So uh, do you have any wacky experiences that you've had both in the lab and out that you'd, you'd like to share? Outside the lab, I think it's been, outreach has been relatively when we get an event and we we you know we we hold a talk when we have a meeting it's all been very good i think i think the one thing that's difficult though because i also work a bit on funding is it is it is very tough to send out um a, a mountain of emails to get one reply saying sorry you know we don't have funding at the moment or something you know sorry you know or, or at least uh and that's that's a really nice reply, you know. Like thank thank God, you know, we're we're just not talking into the void. So that's I would say, you know, we have we had had no problems. Sometimes I wish I got a rude email back from a from Ooh. a company or something like that. I wish because we talked to someone from Greece, uh, a Greek a Greek team, um, which I cannot pronounce their name, so I'm not going to try. But um, that's the, the anyway. So um, <laughs> but, Thessaloniki. That's the one. That's the one they they were talking to a lot of companies and they're the, the for funding and their replies were very rude um they were saying you know in this economy get out of here uh, <laughs> and they but i sort of want that rather than the, the void the thing of emails is like we sent out email once asking for some help with some still graphing composite and their response was google it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> google it <laughs> <laughs> yeah with with labs um things have been going okay actually we've we've had a, we had a lot of circuits to build i did four in the past few weeks that for cloning things that we needed to do they're going well i think we're at the end actually just jeremy probably doesn't know this i got the colonies yesterday so that's good jeremy taking this opportunity Ooh. to let test it <laughs> Yeah. So uh, we've had, like I said, things that didn't work out. Like there were things that we that we put that it worked, but it killed the bacteria at the end. We haven't had anything. We've had like, I think the most dramatic thing that happened was like we melted a gel by accident because we left it on at too, too high a voltage, maybe for too long. That's the most drama that we've had. But it's just been basically just very, very intense weekends and like I, I left the lab at 10 at night on sunday last oh, sunday no. wow that's yeah. commitment yeah yeah so it was it was two straight weekends just working two weeks with weekends working just without non-stop wow. and because of that i think the, the idea is now that we're okay with what less. <laughs> and this this guy was feeling guilty yesterday. He said, "Oh, I took a, I, I, I took I I you know I played video games. I, you know, and, and he, he, he was he was he was coming to confession. He was coming to confession, and he was he was saying, "Oh no, you know I, I feel so guilty. I we just found, take it take a break. You've been key, taking the key yeah. difference between our teams is that we eat like of an evening or of a weekend. We're like." let's go and play games let's go and mess around here whereas oh no I actually played, let me play two just, hours of games you just brought up something really good now um that we we need to mention it i've never met jeremy in person just so you know well um, yeah i've never met him i don't know if he's real or not like that's why i wanted to come in back that social thing that you just described that it's so casual to you oh let's just do that like for us it would be a dream 
to, to be honest. <laughs> like if we could have everyone in the same place doing the same thing and more likely it's just going to happen in the jamboree. You've been playing on hard mode, a new team. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy new team. Jeremy ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weekend work. Mm-hmm. Weekend work. It's very intense. Brilliant. Well, that is, that's probably a lovely place for us to, to say goodbye to our audience. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure to have you guys on. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a pleasure to be on. Thank um, you for inviting us. In case you guys didn't notice who were listening, Alex had to run off, but I'm sure I'm sure he he's had a lovely time. If not, he's run off, so he can't <laughs> complain. <laughs> well, good goodbye. Goodbye, test tube people. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. 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 That's all we have time for today. As always, thanks to our wonderful guests. And please feel free to follow us on Instagram at exeter.igem2022, on YouTube at exeter.igem2022, or pop us an email on exeter.igem2022 at gmail.com. Please ask any questions via the social media or in the comments, and any other feedback is greatly appreciated. Bye for now!